Welcome to the Pillow Talk podcast. I'm here with Cameron Coughlin. Cameron is a former pro baseball player, current Utah Jazz executive, and one of my good friends. And so we're here to talk about whatever. And Cameron, the biggest guest you've ever had. The biggest guest that I've ever landed on the Pillow Talk podcast, Cameron Coughlin. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. I mean, I'm I'm so impressed with the potential you see in me, and you know. I just appreciate it. Dude, it's nice looking in those blues right across like, yeah. like three feet from me, maybe. I hear that all the time. <laughs> I've heard that for a long time. So, well, What do you want to talk about today? Um, man, I think we could talk some baseball. We're going to talk about baseball and how I haven't watched a baseball game in three years. Okay. Um, I, I do want to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, I can teach you about baseball. Why do you explain. think people aren't interested in baseball anymore? Well, that's kind of, uh, again, maybe taking a little leap to say, like, general people are not interested in baseball. Okay. Why are baseball's numbers, the pe- why are more people less interested in baseball than they previously were? Are you talking about from a fan perspective or from a playing perspective? Fan perspective. Um, I do think it's a very regional sport. Totally is. Ver- right? Whereas NBA, NFL, I think it... Um, carries over into, you know, I'll watch, especially because of fantasy. Mm-hmm. Now, I play fantasy baseball, so I watch a lot more baseball than I probably would. Mm-hmm. But I also like having a baseball game on. It could be the Orioles versus the Marlins, and, like, I'll yeah. watch it. Um, but that's just not as interesting. I don't think baseball markets itself as well as the NBA and the NFL does and their players and their likenesses and stuff. I just, they just haven't done as good of a job with that. Do you think it is less marketable uh baseball because when people actually watch somebody do something great in baseball, it's not as exciting as when somebody does something great in basketball? Potentially. And that's why I think when you see guys when they hit a home run and they pimp it, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like doing a bat flip and, you know, running, you know, um putting on a show. Yeah, Jazz Chisholm on the Miami Marlins does like a Euro step when he Mm -hmm. touches the plate, like that goes against all of baseball's unwritten old rules. And, but I think that's what baseball needs. Yeah. It needs more of that. Well, what do you think about like, I mean, part of it is just like a home run or bust league now. Do you think that ruins the sport? I think it's always been that way. Really? I I mean, the steroid era, like what, Uh what brought baseball back was steroid era and hitting 70 home runs in a year, Mm -hmm. Mark McGuire and Sosa. So people want to see the long ball. There was an old commercial with um, Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin for Nike that chicks dig the long ball. Mm-hmm. Like, that's true. Yeah. Like, as much as people like good pitching, they don't want to see a one, a two-to-one pitcher's duel. They want to see an eight-to-five home run duel and see four home runs in a game. Because that's exciting. I, I kind of, I mean, as a former baseball fan, I kind of liked something about a game that was very close and very intense. Sure. Every pitch mattered, and you're like, oh, man, is he going to, like, is this one home run going to change the game that next at bat where it's, you know, I do like the, I think those closer games are in some ways a little bit more tense and exciting. But you want a closer game that's high scoring and not a closer Mm -hmm. game that's, I mean, it's, it once in a while, I think it's okay to have that closer game that's a pitcher's duel, but then you don't want that, like, four games in a row, and you're just like, gosh, my team can't score any runs. Like, Mm -hmm. they can't get any run support to... Our pitchers, and we're losing, we're winning 2 1, but then losing 1 0. And then, you know, yeah, you want a close game that's like 8 to 7, high scoring, but comes down to the wire, and that those pitches in the last inning mean something. That's probably what you want. Yeah. Ideally, I think like if you could have everything be like high scoring, but also very close, but then you also have something that's like 12 to 4, and you're like, yeah, that's not really close. And you turn it off. And yeah. What do you think about how long a game takes? Yeah. I mean, I do think it's, the fact that there's no time limit on games where in every other sport there is, which is why I think soccer is picking up so much. Mm-hmm. Like, people know exactly what they have to dedicate to watch a game. It's unstopped time. The downside of soccer is that there's not enough scoring for people, so they don't like that. But I think the younger generation who has a thing, they're being pulled a million different ways. They know, like, all I need to do is devote 90 minutes to soccer. I know when it's going to start. I know it's going to mm-hmm. end. And like, good. I think that's what hurts baseball is that it could go on for five hours, five hours into like the seventeenth inning. Yeah. Well, I mean, it could be like five hours into for the ninth. Re- inning. Yeah, it could be. I mean, yeah. if you get like the, I just remember, and this 
dates me a little bit on my baseball, but like Dustin Pedroia and like one um, at bat probably strapped and unstrapped his gloves and strapped him again like yeah seven times. Yeah. I mean, it was like he had 12 pitches in the bat and after every unstrap strap. And it's so just like, in the minors, they're trying, they're actually experimenting with time limits. I just saw yesterday a clip of a player getting called out for taking too long to get back outside the box. They called the strike on him. It was strike three. He was out, end of the inning. Really? So, like, I don't know that you want that. I don't know if that's good for the game, but they're definitely trying to speed up the game. But what does that mean? Like, it saves eight minutes of a game? Like, is that, you know, if you're going to spend two hours and 56 minutes at a baseball game, like, what's an additional eight minutes to you? Like, so what? What's an additional two hours, though, if it's five hours? Like, a lot. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're definitely toying with stuff and trying to... um trying to test the water to see what would work and be sustainable without killing mm-hmm. the, the, you know, game, like the, the competition. Game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see what they end up going with. They have time limits for guys getting in the box. They have time limits for pitchers to pitch. Right. And they're experimenting mm-hmm. with all those things in the minors. Um, I love that they just went away from national league from pitchers hitting. I love the universal DH. I think what if I liked the pitcher having to hit, Okay, so um, I, this is just you and me talking, okay? Yeah. So there is a narrative in baseball with baseball players, mm-hmm. and it's a kind of tongue-in-cheek thing, but that pitchers aren't athletes, okay? Yeah. I'm just going to put it out there, and I'm not the first one to say. I'm just repeating what I was brought up learning about pitchers. Yeah. So the fact that maybe some of them aren't athletes and some are, but let's just say some of them aren't very good athletes, uh-huh. and the fact that they haven't picked up a bat since high school, uh-huh. And all of a sudden, they get to the big leagues, where the big leagues is the only place that pitchers were hitting. Mm-hmm. I think in AAA a little bit, but AA down, it's a universal DH. Mm-hmm. So the guys aren't hitting, and they haven't hit face live pitching in five years. And all of a sudden, we're saying, go up there. And runners on second and third, like, let's knock them in. And they look ridiculous trying to swing a bat. That's not good for baseball. I actually think it's really funny. Oh, well, it's funny, <laughs> but your team is going to suffer because... You know, Unless you get a pitcher who adds value who can actually hit. Okay, so those three guys okay. in the league. Three or four guys. But then the other thing is it like changes some of the strategy of the game. Yeah, but you're give it, you're essentially giving away an out. Like even, even now, guys on second and third, they don't want that pitcher running hard down the line. They're just going to have them put down a bunt with two outs and hope that something good happens, but mostly it's just an automatic out and you're out of the inning. Mm-hmm. Like I'd rather see... Hey, it, it extends guys' careers longer that can hit that maybe aren't as good defensively anymore, like uh-huh. uh, uh, Nelson Cruz, who's like 41, still hitting 25, 30 bombs a year. Yeah, he can now play in the National League in DH. Mm-hmm. Now my team has a better chance to score runs. And, you know, and I don't have to watch a sacrifice, mandatory sacrifice bunt because they don't want that pitcher getting hurt. It, it, it's just like I'd rather see the game played the right way. Allow pitchers to focus on pitching and allow the hitters to focus on hitting. I like it. Yeah. I don't know why. I just I I like that it's like, okay, we've got to get this. Like, if you're eighth, you're like, man, I really got to do something here. Yeah. Because I know that pitcher's next. He's not going to help me out. Uh, well, and I think that's why. Even, like, strategy around, like, relievers and different stuff like that. Like, I think that's why we're okay to lose you as a fan. Like, okay. it's totally fine. I'm gone. <laughs> Wait, what made you, like, you said when I used to be a fan of baseball, like what made you stop? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple. So baseball was like my primary sport in the 90s. They went on strike, and I don't know why I was like, I don't know. I was just like, why are they going on strike? Why are we losing baseball? I was like mad about it. Yeah. And so I kind of was like, yeah, lost a little bit of interest. And like basketball, like naturally, I think grew into like more of my thing. Um, but then... I don't know. It was like during the COVID year, I just kind of like stopped watching baseball. And I think part of it, like I used to have, like, I don't know if it's like Root Sports or AT&T, but when I moved, like I didn't have the Rockies on my channel anymore. Mm. And I used to watch a ton of Rockies. Yeah. And then. Do you have Dish? I don't. I've got YouTube TV. Yeah. So they don't carry regional sports networks yet. Yep. So no or baseball. And Fubo like, does, right? So they carry I, the jazz and yeah, they carry. I did actually play on a fantasy team, but I don't do that anymore. And that's kind of. Fantasy will get you back into it. Dude, it makes you care about games would, that you yeah. wouldn't care about. But You get into like all the like minor league pitchers that are coming up and you're like, yeah. hey, man, I know who that guy is. And yeah. Nobody else in the world. Dude, does. I look back at like if I'm going to pick up a free agent on my fantasy team, 
maybe he's like one or two years in the league. I'll go back and look at his minor league stats. Like, did he kill it as a hitter? Did he hit like 350 in the minors? Because that translates to like, he's going to be a pretty decent hitter in the big leagues, like 280 or above. And I can count on that. Well, how does that translate? Is it just like, do you feel like the confidence of it? Or is it like he has like a he just that- Yeah, he's just naturally a really good hitter. Whatever it is, he's figured it out. And he's going to hit like relative to the level he's at, wherever he's at. He's in the big leagues. Yeah, he's not going to hit 350 anymore, but he'll probably hit 280 to 300 and still have some bombs or do whatever or do his thing. Um, but the guys that hit 250 in the minors with 30 home runs and 100 RBIs and all that, that's probably going to translate over where they're big power guys, but they're going to hit 220, 230, strike out 150 times. But I feel like that's like the major league baseball of today. Is it like, is? Hey, I hit two twenty, and it's like two twenty. You wouldn't even be playing, dude. There was a guy named Rob Deer who played for the Detroit Tigers back mm-hmm. in the day, and he was like known for like hitting two hundred or below two hundred, mm-hmm. but hitting like thirty homers and having like eighty RBIs. But like that was just an anomaly thing. That like okay, Rob Deer, haha, that was funny. Now it's yeah, to your point, yeah. 100% Adam normal. Dunn was like the first guy that I really remember being like the like oh yeah I hit forty home runs but I'm batting two hundred and I strike out if I don't hit a home run yeah and a- I think Adam Dunn was in the mid to low two hundreds like two forty oh. to two sixty on a high end and maybe oh. he had an an outlier year of hitting higher average but I think he hit enough home runs enough RBIs that they're just like ah oh, forget that like it's fine let him play um, and yeah he he had a ton of home runs but. That is the new thing. It's like, oh, it's okay if everyone strikes out. Mm-hmm. And, but when you make contact, you're going to hit at 500 feet. And if you do that 25, 30 times, that's why it's like, in a, from a fantasy perspective, you want to try to draft guys that still have a high average. Mm-hmm. I liked the, uh, the thing I, that is cool about home runs is like, yeah, it's awesome. It goes out of the park. But there's a coordination of baseball. Of like, I get this hit, and then somebody else hits, and somebody else hits me in it. And it's like the actual teamwork. Whereas yeah. like when it's just like, bam, bam. Home run. Yeah. It isn't like the same. It's more of an individual like. It, it's a one-on-one sport uh-huh. that everyone, there's nine guys trying to do their own thing to help each other. It's kind of a very unique, weird thing. But it's one-on-one. It's the pitcher versus the hitter. I think it's the most objective sport where it's like, man, you can't be like, well, I did a really good job, but I got out all the time. Like either you, you know, perform or you don't, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, basketball, there's like intangibles. You're like, well, I did all these other things yeah. that like made a difference. And like, in like baseball, Rudy has the most screen assists. Yeah, like, oh, exactly. Like, uh-huh. Awesome. So he's valuable that way. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's definitely baseball is a numbers game. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one of those things that, I mean, three out of 10 times that you're successful in any job, including a lot of other sports, you're probably not going to continue with that profession no. or that sport. Uh-huh. But three out of 10, if you're consistently doing that, there's a chance you're making a million dollars or more for a living. Crushing. Yeah. But going from, for me, going from college where I hit high 300s mm-hmm. and then I go to pro ball like a month later and I'm using wood and I'm hitting high 200s and like around 300, there was still a mental adjustment I had to make that was very hard for me to get over because I felt like I was just not doing well. So the mental adjustment... That's kind of what I'm interested in is like when you got into major or pro baseball, you felt like kind of like sad or depressed about your performance. Like did that affect, like did it like snowball? Did it make you worse consistently? Yeah. It, well, I don't know if it was like depressed and, and maybe it didn't snowball, but it was an adjustment period. And even though I knew that 300 playing pro ball was good and was like what you want, it was still personally an adjustment that I had to make for myself to be like, accept a new normal in a way. Mm-hmm. There was, it, and it, it took time. Um, How much time? I mean, probably that whole first season of just being like, yeah, like I'm hitting close to 300. I think my first short season, I hit 294. Is that in like single A or? It was, it, it was called short season. So okay. it's any, they have um, two leagues. They have the fire league, they call it, which is in mm-hmm. Arizona because you play in the middle of the day and it's 120 in the summer. <laughs> yeah. And then they have the Gulf Coast League in Florida, which is middle of the day in Florida, 100 degrees with 95% humidity. Mm-hmm. And so I played in Florida. And Seems like a great sport. Yeah, no, it's a great idea. There's like heat warnings, like don't go outside today, it's too hot. And then 
We're playing at noon in the middle of the day in Florida. But wear long pants. Yeah, wear long pants, <laughs> dive and run as hard as you can uh-huh. and dive in the dirt and yeah, and just stay out there for about two, three hours in the sun. So it's a great idea. Um, and honestly, now I look back, I'm like, how did I do that? Like, <laughs> I mean, ig- ignorance is bliss. <laughs> like, I don't know if it's just my young body, but I couldn't survive now doing it. Um, but uh, yeah, from a confidence standpoint, the biggest thing that affected my confidence was playing every day without mm-hmm. a day off. Like no one prepares you for that. In college, you know, you have maybe a Tuesday game, midweek game, and then a weekend series. Then mostly you're off on, uh, for, for BYU is off on Sunday. And then Monday, Tuesday, we're practicing Wednesday, those three days to getting ready for our next series. So if you struggle a little bit in a series, you have some time to work on it and really refine mm-hmm. some things and get back to a place where you're back on. Pro ball, like you're working early work. So you're coming- Pre-game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're coming pre-game and it's 100 degrees outside. When I was in the Texas League in Frisco, Texas in Dallas, like, yeah, come early work at two o'clock. Okay, I'm there and it's, I can't, I can't take 100 swings. Mm-hmm. I can take like 20 yeah. effectively and then I'm dog tired, but then I have a game that night. Mm-hmm. So how do I get better? You know, so it's, it's tough to juggle all that. And so that wears you down. And all of a sudden you're 0 for 4. You're like, okay, that's not a big deal. 0 for 8. Like, okay, like I'm, maybe I'm not feeling right at the plate. 0 for 12, you get maybe 1 for 15, 1 for 16. And you're like panicking at this point. Mm-hmm. Now you're like, I need to figure something out. You're there early. You're there after the game taking BP. You're trying to figure something out. Nothing's clicking with your swing. You just can't find it. And I mean, maybe they give you a day off to like, kind of recuperate rest your mind but it's there's no practice in pro ball so those kind of uh those streaks those happen to everybody correct is that a just luck or is there something you're doing wrong and you just don't notice it um a little bit of both what's it's, your it's both but i would say the guys that make it to the there's not a difference skill wise mm-hmm. in guys in the big leagues and guys in double a AA or triple a mm-hmm. or even sometimes in, in single a there's not like from throwing like miles per hour, velocity, how hard they can hit it, it's it's the same. Yeah. But the big league guys have figured it out where they can minimize their slumps and maximize their hot streaks. Mm-hmm. The minor league guys have more of of a, a longer slump and a smaller hot streak. That's the difference. So how I mean, have you talked to guys and what do they say? Like how how have they figured that out? Like what are they? It's I, it's kind of individual for each guy but they're just making quicker course corrections Qu- yeah quicker adjustments maybe it's i mean baseball could be pitch to pitch adjustments yeah um whether it's a physical adjustment a mental adjustment knowing the scouting report in another pitcher and what he's pitching and what he does oh two one two versus what he does three two does he throw a curveball for a strike three two is a get me over but you're not expecting it because you're like he's not going to throw a three two off speed pitch mm-hmm. well yeah he did he struck you out yeah and so do you know that stuff are you overthinking that like the best players, like uh, Alex Rodriguez, you look at the best players in history, the best hitters, they, they, they can make those small adjustments faster and get out of those slumps faster. Mm-hmm. But you are guaranteed as a baseball player because of the length of the season and that you play every day, you are going to go in a slump. But how, what can you do to minimize that and to you know, try, to, try to make sure that you're not in a slump for a long period of time? And that's the difference between big league and minor league guys. That's it. Uh, that lesson, like, do you apply that to your regular life now? Like, do you think about like, how do I do that in normal life? Is that, does that apply at all? Um, you know, that's interesting. I think what baseball and sports teach you in general is resiliency Mm -hmm. and that if you keep finding ways to make adjustments in your life, you'll eventually find the thing that works for you. And, Mm -hmm. and, and here's the thing in baseball, I tell this to the kids that I coach. Like you're going to go into a slump. What you're doing right now may feel great. Do that as long as you can. You're going to wake up one morning after going four for four. And it won't work anymore. And it doesn't work for whatever reason. You're going out there saying, I'm doing exactly what I was doing yesterday with my hands and my rhythm, my timing. That's gone. So what do I have to do to find something to make an adjustment to now get me through another two weeks? Mm -hmm. And so it's those guys that can recognize it, make that adjustment faster and find it and then extend that out for a couple of weeks. And sometimes you, maybe you've gone through everything that you can and you have no answers anymore. And yeah, you're going to slump. And sometimes you have to hit rock bottom to then 
almost rebuild yourself back up from a confidence level, timing, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's reflective of life. Like sometimes you have to hit rock bottom in what you're doing, whether it's a job or personal life or, you know, depression or whatever, mm -hmm. rock bottom to then say, okay, like I, I need a wake up call and I need to come back and start rebuilding. It's like what I'm doing right now isn't working and I need to change it up. Right. Just something a little different to be like, Hey, look, I have a new rhythm. Yeah. New... I think that like sometimes life gets boring. Yeah. <laughs> You know, sometimes things in general are like, oh, I'm just doing the same. And you kind of like get in the motions. Mm -hmm. And maybe that happens in baseball where you're just like going through the motions in some way. And then it's like, oh, I need to totally like break the shackles and just be like, okay, build myself up. And do totally. different. You know, there's something interesting. One of my favorite, I say my favorite hitter is Freddie Freeman on the Dodgers. Now you speak the Braves, yeah. first baseman. His approach, he hits, you know, he was MVP two years ago. Seems like a real popular guy. Yeah. I was joking. Somebody, I feel like recently was like, I don't like that guy. Yeah, it was actually Ronald Acuna, who was okay. his former teammate. And I think just Ronald Acuna came in as this like, you know, kind of flashy, new age kind yeah. of kid. Freeman's kind of a veteran. Yeah. More, I guess, conservative as far as how he expresses himself on the field. And Acuna is like batting gloves and different colors and mm. pimping home runs and doing stuff. And that didn't jive with Freeman and as a veteran, what he kind of wanted for the team. So mm -hmm. I think they rubbed heads there. Um, but that's, that's fine. And people put way too much stock into that kind of stuff. Like, oh, well, they don't get along. Like, well, that's, they Pretty get along normal. fine. Like, yeah. he's still going to, like, catch the ball from Acuna in right field when he needs to cut it to third. Like, yeah. it's fine. It'll be fine. Not everyone in the locker room, all 25 guys don't get along. It's mm -hmm. totally fine. Um, you still find a way to go out and high-five each other, you know. And it's just like any workplace. Like, hey, you don't have to be friends after and hang out. But while you're there, like, you know, pick that person up and help them out, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but Freddie Freeman, his approach, the reason he's such a good hitter and batting practice, batting practice for a lot of hitters is the time to put on a show. Like, oh, I'm going to hit. Yeah. Freddie Freeman, all he does is hit up the middle opposite field in batting practice. He rarely, if ever, and there's videos on YouTube where you hear him talking about it. And you say, and he says something like, hey, it's a really boring batting practice that you put on, but it'll show up in your numbers on game day. So when you say up the middle, he's like trying to hit like a ground ball up the middle? Or just, just well, line drives, just, just putting a okay. nice bat path on the ball. And essentially what he's saying... He's placing it. Yeah, and, and he's, he's hitting the tougher pitches because he knows he can react to a ball in naturally, just react and, and hit that ball. Mm -hmm. And he's almost saying to the quote-unquote baseball gods, like, listen, I'm not getting too greedy here. I'm not trying to do too much. I'm going to take what you give me and I'm going to be good at hitting whatever pitch you give me. Mm -hmm. So in batting practice, he only works on just up the middle, up the middle, up the middle, left field, left field, left field, line drive, line drive, line drive, line drive versus home run derby. And he's hitting 10 home runs in BP. And now all of a sudden in the game, a pitcher is working him down in a way and all he's been working on is hitting bombs to right field. And now he can't hit that pitch. So mm -hmm. I think there's something mentally as well that helps you feel like so he's trying to hit tougher pitches, like so he's getting those like down and away pitches in batting practice. Yeah, I mean, just it, not so much, but he's getting more middle away pitches in batting practice, mm -hmm. so he can work on that. And even if he yeah. gets a pitch in, he's trying to stay inside of the ball mm -hmm. and still hit it up the middle, even though it's in. And in the game, if he just reacts and he happens to pull it to right center or pull it down the line, like great. Mm -hmm. But his approach is in his mind, he's maximizing his opportunity to get a hit in a game. Yeah. And to keep a mental approach that will always maximize that chance. So to is that hit. counter to the bombs culture? Yes, 100%. Okay. Because if you look at now in, in baseball, how many shifts do they play on guys? Yeah. Because all those guys care about, and even the team, like, hey, we pay you to hit 30 to 40 bombs a year, and that's what we want you doing. So forget about it. Just, just pull the ball, and, like, you're going to get your bombs. Well, Freddie Freeman's like, well, I want these guys spread out as much as possible and play me straight up. So I'm going to use the entire field and they have to yeah. respect that. And they still, I think sometimes play a, a shift on them to some degree, but he as as good as any hitter can, can use the entire field to spray a ball. Do they shift on pretty much everybody nowadays? For, for guys that, again, they have analytics that show this guy 60% uh -huh. of the time, 70% of the time is pulling the ball, then they'll play him over there. So what percentage of a bat is there a shift? Do you feel like almost every bat? Really? Yeah. Except for the guys that use the whole field and they use it pretty evenly. Um, if it was me, I would say to every single hitter, 
Mm-hmm. You bunt until they start playing you straight up. Now, somebody bunted the other day, right? There was like I saw an article and it was like a big deal. Like, oh, this guy bunted a long butt bunt down third base, and they're like, oh, finally somebody. Yeah, and it can be like it's like a double. Yeah, because the third baseman. By the time they get over, they, there, it's yeah. weird. They move the third baseman sometimes over to play second, uh-huh. and the second baseman to play short right, yeah. and then the shortstop kind of plays short or basically just is covering that whole ground between second and third, mm-hmm. and uh, you know. And so you can bun it and literally bun it down the third baseline and no one's there and you can get a double. Yeah. And it doesn't go out of the infield. So if it was me, like I would say either you adjust your hitting style to like use the whole field, which a lot of guys just aren't doing. Yeah. Um, so either do that or just bunt until and you know, bunt and every guy and bases are loaded. Now have that guy come up and swing away and you know, you're probably gonna score some runs. How hard is it to bunt down that third baseline and just be like I mean, is that a tricky thing? It's, I don't know. It's really I don't, not. I mean, okay. bunting was my bunting and stealing bases was what I did. Uh-huh. It's not difficult. Um, you you square around early, establish your angle for where you want to do it, and just bunt the ball. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I again, it goes back to like, well, we're paying this guy. I I'm a home run hitter. Like that's why I'm here. I'm not here to just bunt. So is there a machismo about it where they're like, I a little don't bit. want to be a bunter. That's for girls. Uh, yeah, not for girls, but like. I'm a home run hitter. That's what, I, that's what I'm paid for. Uh-huh. Like, and the organization is like, yeah, that's our analytics show that if you just keep swinging, like, it doesn't matter if they're playing a shift, you're going to hit 40 home runs. Um, I mean, the, the game of baseball is not as good as it could be mm-hmm. because guys are not, guys aren't using the whole field mm-hmm. and no one's expecting them to. In the old days, like old days when I played, mm-hmm. like, yeah, you had to use the whole field to play. Like, you're not, you can keep pulling the ball. Yeah, they're going to do a shift on you. So is that like the 80s? When I played? Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, it was, uh, yeah, steroid Kirby era Puckett. and, yeah. Kirby Puckett. Cocaine like, era. Yeah, one of the rookies when you. No, it was uh, Howard Johnson and Daryl Strawberry. Yeah, yeah. Dwight Gooden. They were all rookies when I came in. Um, yeah. No, it, I, I mean, it was 20 years ago now that I got drafted tw- in 2002. And it feels like, you know. So how far did you get in your baseball career? So um, I played in a few big league spring training games, but I was I topped uh-huh. out a double A during the regular season. What do you feel like prevented you from moving to that next level? Um, it's funny. So my mom, uh, bless her heart, she still gets mad at like one of the organizations I was with. Uh-huh. Like they they like wronged you and didn't give uh-huh. you the chances and all this I stuff. I love moms. I know. <laughs> and I, and honestly, like. Um, one of the things I try to teach my kids is to like be self-aware and to own what you do well and own what you don't. I don't think I, uh, so I played second base and outfield mm-hmm. and occasionally short and some things like that. I think what hurt me is I wasn't really good at any one position. Mm-hmm. I was serviceable, maybe all of them, mm-hmm. but I wasn't like good. Yeah. Like I wasn't like a gold glove caliber outfielder or anything like that. I think that hurt me that. Like defensively, like regardless of what I'm doing offensively, defensively they need me out there because I'm yeah. great defensively. I don't think I was very good defensively. I was average Did at best. Did you realize that at the time? No. It was more of, well, and they, they wanted me to, to wear a bunch of different hats, right, mm-hmm. and play different positions, and I wanted to do that, but um, I didn't recognize that, like, I'm not, I, I'm not really good at this. Mm-hmm. In sports in general, you have to be exceptional at at least one thing. Yes. Uh-huh. I played during the steroid era where I was exceptional at stealing bases, mm-hmm. whereas but what they matter. wanted, it didn't matter. What uh-huh. they wanted was there was an exceptional guy that hit 35 home runs that played second base as well. Yeah. And I only hit like my most in one season was six. Okay. So they're like, oh, well, that's cool that you stole 50, but I have a guy over here that hit 35, is taking steroids and, mm-hmm. you know, had 100 RBIs. And that's not everyone. Not everyone took steroids, but I, I, was, I played during that era where mm-hmm. – it was more prominent, and it changed the expectations mm-hmm. of players in certain positions. And um, yeah, it just didn't it didn't matter as much. Um, how what was your build like when you were playing? Um, I was my playing weight. I think was like one eighty two. I was pretty. I mean, I was pretty built. Okay. I mean, going back to my days at BYU, we we had the the football training, which probably at the time wasn't great for baseball. Now they've adopted, and that was just because. Back then, they didn't really know. Mm. Now they know, like, probably over-the-head stuff, not good for baseball players, mm. not good for shoulders and stuff like that. Um, 
but we were doing all the football lifts. So a lot of Olympic lifts, yeah. all that. And so I got, I got pretty big and creatine had just come out. So I'm starting to take creatine. Mm -hmm. I was like 167 my senior year of high school. And then November of my freshman year of college, I was like 178 and different. Yeah. Like my parents were like, whoa, we didn't even was recognize Was that from it. the weightlifting? Was that from creatine? It was from both. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I went from, you know, a novice lifter in high school to like, lifting five days a week with a yeah. program written by a college strength and conditioning coach for football. And mm -hmm. yeah, I got big pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so did you have power? Yeah, I, I honestly did. Here's an, here's another thing. I was a switch hitter. Uh -huh. I think that, that hurt me. It helped me and hurt me as a hitter uh -huh. where a switch hitter, you're splitting all of your reps. Yep. And so, uh, I mostly took my swings left-handed and then I would take one round right-handed in batting practice. Mm -hmm. I was naturally right-handed. I have pop right-handed. I have less pop left-handed, but a better swing left-handed. And I'm closer to first, and I'm mm -hmm. a fast runner. So batting left-handed, there's you, a lot. They're on bases. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So actually, if you look at my stats, my on-base percentage lifetime is, is actually really high. Mm -hmm. And so um, that would have played well to now. But, um, but if I had stuck to just being a right-handed hitter, maybe I probably could have popped at least teens in home runs. Yeah. Um, and just really focused on just when I, or even maybe left-handed, just giving up right-handed and just hit lefty. And maybe mm -hmm. I would have done that as well. But, but because I split reps, I just don't think I ever really refined one way and really was able to focus on it as much as I wanted to. So if you're working with your kid on baseball, would you say, don't be a switch hitter? Like that's yeah. So there's, there's a couple kids, there's twins on my kid's baseball team right now, both left-handed hitters throw right and they can swing right-handed. No problem. Yeah. And I've just told their dad, I'm like, listen. I think it's great if they want to do it, just keep like letting them do it for fun and like honing that. And eventually they want to make that decision. Great. I'll just tell you based on my experience, if I could go back, maybe I wouldn't switch hit anymore. And here's yeah. why, but I would never prevent anybody. I mean, it's, there are advantages to it. I mean, mm -hmm. matchups and all kinds of things, but, um, yeah, but I think that, I think that hurt me. And then, um, yeah, I just, I just didn't have a home run type swing. I was always a littler guy. I'm like five yeah. eleven. Um, so growing up, I was never the one with a lot of pop, like mm -hmm. wasn't a bigger kid. And so um, I didn't hit my first home run until I was 14 in like Pony League. Yeah. My son, who's 11, he hit his first home run over the fence when he's nine. So he's... Does he remind you how much better he is at baseball than you? Yeah, he's yeah. a lot better. I was, a, I'm fa I was faster than he was at that age. Yeah. But he's the, ex and you, you know, you know, he's the exact opposite body type that I'm. He's tall, mm -hmm. slender, bigger pop like middle of the lineup kid i was a leadoff hitter bunting yeah. speed so completely different so um what else would you do differently other than switch hitting i mean would you have focused more on defense would that have like helped yeah you, do you think or i would have would i would have been position or yeah i would have been more specialized in one position i would say in college i split time between second and the outfield and pro ball the same thing mm -hmm. um it's great to be able to play both and some guys are really good at both and they can do it and it's not a problem um, but for me, I probably would have just said like, hey, I'm a center fielder and I'm going to focus on playing center and really good, good at center field. I also think too, like if I had been growing up now, like the access to videos on YouTube and instructional stuff and like, dude, when I was growing up, it was Tom Amansky's <laughs> video with Fred McGriff saying, this yeah. is the video that gets results, right? Like that was it. Or like a book. Yeah. On There's nothing. There was nothing. So it was like, hopefully you run into a good coach in high school or something that's, that knows what they're talking about. Um, and so I think now it's just so much different. There's access and the kids pick things up so much faster. And what kids are doing at 10 and 11 now, like I wasn't learning that stuff. We're teaching this and they're doing it. I wasn't learning that stuff till high school or college. That, that's how it is today for basketball too. Yeah. Like kids are doing stuff in basketball that pros are doing now that even people, pros back in the day like had no comprehension of doing that kind of stuff. Totally. You know? Like even the Euro stuff, it didn't even exist. And it's like a very basic move for kids. Yeah. That, like I never even would have thought of. Yeah. I mean, you can't even do it still. Uh, I travel every time I do it, but I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So what was your least favorite part about playing baseball? Like in the pros? Um, probably living or being in towns a lot that I just maybe didn't enjoy, and I won't call any of those out. Mm -hmm. Iowa. Uh, there were parts of Iowa that I really liked. Okay. And I had a host family in Clinton, Iowa. That was awesome. So you lived with other people. You didn't even have like a... So, well, my, I was in Iowa twice. Uh -huh. My first year there, we rented a house, me and three other guys, and we lived there. 
and it was fine. There was a swamp cooler just in the master bedroom, mm. and we had fans that would blow the cool air to the rest of the house. Yeah. So that was fun. Um, and then when I went back, I was married, and so my wife and I stayed with a host family in their basement, and then three other guys were living upstairs, and it was like, it was fun. And honestly, everywhere I lived with my wife from that point on, we always had a roommate on my team that would live in like the living room or something. A host family. They're just like renting out their home or. Yeah. Or yeah. And then you pay them, you pay them like rent for their room or something like that. And it's very common in minor league towns, even in Salt Lake for the bees, there's host families that do it every year. And I mean, the positive of that is like one of these guys may make it to the big leagues and make it huge. And they lived with you for six months. You're you're always connected to them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was actually for us, it was a lot of fun. And so I'm still super connected with guys that I played with that I lived with that it was just me and Sarah, like, you know, in the master and they were out and they had the whole living room to themselves and we were roommates, the three of us. And it was way fun. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, anybody that you play with make it big or? Yeah. Uh, a guy named CJ Wilson. He was a pitcher, mm-hmm. um, for the Rangers and then with the angels, he had Albert Pujols signed the same year with the angels as free agents. Um, Cameron Lowe, he pitched in the big leagues for a long time. Um, I made it with a lot of pitchers more than mm-hmm. position players. Um, Kevin Richardson was a catcher. He had, I think he made it for three games. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, it's, it's one thing to make it. They always say it's one thing to make it, but it's hard to stick. That's yeah. the, it's easier to make it and get a cup of coffee, but to stick is the challenge. So a little bit about sleep now. Okay. Um, how much did you sleep last night? I got seven and a half hours of sleep. What time did you go to bed? I went to bed at 1130. Okay. Do the math. He woke up at seven. Oh. Okay. I'm so good at this. Yeah. Um, did you see that study that just came out that said seven hours is the optimal amount of sleep? Yeah, I did see that. I haven't read anything about it, but I saw yeah. like a little. There was like a multi-year study and all kinds of stuff. And they... They know that seven hours is optimal, but they but anything less or more than that can be detrimental. Hmm. Do you go to bed at eleven thirty every night? Absolutely do not. Okay. Do you wake up at the same time every morning? I try to, yeah. Okay. Um, I think since the pandemic, it's been harder for me to wake up earlier. Yeah. Um, I used to be like, oh, I'm gonna wake up at five and I went and played basketball three times a week at mm-hmm. five thirty in the morning and then would go lift and do all that and I'm done. I'm feeling great and then the pandemic hit and then it kind of started picking back up again with playing basketball and stuff. I'm like, man, why am I waking up? I'm like, sometimes I'm not going to sleep until midnight. Yeah. And then I'm waking up at five. Like why? For what? Not worth it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like the whole thing about winning the morning. Like I feel like I can win the morning a little bit later mm-hmm. and be great and still be super productive. And I think getting enough rest for your body, that's winning the morning. Like whatever totally. it is, you know, totally. there's a lot of studies around like, Waking up at the same time every day is really important. Yeah. Because like you have a circadian rhythm naturally. And mm-hmm. then when you can like make that consistent. Yeah. Uh, then you actually have a rhythm. Yeah. You know, and your body knows when to wake up and it knows when to go to bed automatically. You know? Right. Yeah. No, I, I try to I try to stick to a consistent time that I'm waking up. Occasionally if there's a day where I can sleep in on like a Saturday or something, maybe mm-hmm. I will, but sleeping in until like eight. Yeah. Um, but I, to your point, I've, I've known that about, it's important to like set a time and be consistent about waking up at that time. But, you know, sometimes like our baseball practices indoors in the winter are from 8.30 to 10 PM mm-hmm. and I get home and I'm like kind of unwinding and then the kids go to sleep and I'm like, oh, I have an hour to like catch up on an episode of this. And then all of a sudden it's midnight. So yeah. What's the episode of the day? Um, so I just time? finished the first season and the only season so far of Tokyo Vice. Mm. It's, have you heard of it? It's on HBO Max. I have not heard it. Of it is um, very loosely related to Miami Vice. So Michael Mann, who created Miami Vice and did Heat and he did Collateral and yeah. all those movies, um, he's the executive producer on this and directed the first episode. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's awesome. It's all set in Japan. It's filmed in Japan, super authentic feeling, and it's, it's so cool. So there's that. There's Winning Time, which is the story about the Lakers, and it's, I don't know if you've seen all the Cam, big undercover Lakers fan, works for the Jazz, but uh, I, that's not true. Uh, <laughs> let me clarify. Not true that you work for the Jazz or not. Let me clarify for undercover. any of the Jazz people that employ me uh, that are listening. Um, I grew up a Laker fan, and when I came and worked for the Jazz, I quickly became a Jazz fan. I am mm-hmm. no longer a Laker fan. I have given up my allegiance to that team. Who's your favorite player on that team? 
um, on the Lakers right now. Jeez, nobody. Not a big Austin Reeves fan? No, I'm not. Um, not No, I'm not really a <laughs> fan of anyone on the team, to be honest with you. Like, like maybe Markeith Morris, like, but he's he not, no, play. he's on the Heat. Oh, well, he was on Lakers last year? Uh, two years ago. Two years ago. Mm-hmm. See, I, like, they, I, I like, uh, they've rolled their roster over so much. Like, I can't even keep track. I mean, Melo was on the team this year. Like, dude, Westbrook. Dwight Howard. I, I'm not a Dwight Howard guy. Dude, I've got a picture of Dwight Howard with a pillow cube. I would say, is he with used a, a pillow cube? Superman case on it. Okay. And for that reason, I'm like a very, like, I'm like, yeah, Dwight Howard's oh, my I'm guy. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, did you have to get him a larger one for that? Oh, uh, we got him a six bigger. inch. It was a standard. Okay, used to like it you because know? Rudy uses like a bigger one. He's like a nine incher, you know, those okay. shoulders. He's a, he's got a weird body, Rudy. You know, Dwight. He's Dwight's just more. Yeah, he's not as big, but he's big. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. He, but his his body's more like comparable, like size wise. He's not yeah, for like, whatever abnormal. Reason it anyway. Yeah, uh huh. Yeah, um, yeah. I honestly, I I couldn't tell you a Laker that I like. Mm. So right now. But to Can that you point, tell me a jazz player you like. A, a jazz player, I I love. How are Mike. you feeling after this season? Um, I think, I mean, as you are a jazz fan yourself, uh, I don't know about that. What What do you mean? Uh, big Nuggets fan over here. What? Well, and I knew you like had allegiance to them, but like you're a jazz fan, like that's why I'm on the show here. Uh, I definitely appreciate I mean, wh- the Utah like, Jazz. Why and- is this coming out on the show? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I've been to a lot of games with Cam, but I've, I've worn some Nuggets You've gear. You've worn some games, Nuggets gear. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's okay. I, I, I appreciate your allegiance to the Nuggets. Um, I will say that um, I love Juancho Hernan Gomez. <laughs> Dude, so here's the thing. I do like Juancho Hernan Gomez. And I'll be at a jazz game, and he's a former Denver Nugget, actually. Yeah. So he was drafted by Denver, wasn't he? Uh huh. Yep. And he'll hit a big three. Yeah. I'll be like, Wancho three, gotcha three. As the old uh, Scott Hastings oh, okay. call for Wancho when he hit a three. And I, I like that like, actually. I'm the only one who knows it in yeah. the stadium. <laughs> yeah. No, I like that. But yeah, it was a great call. But I, I'd say Mike Conley's probably my favorite player on the Jazz. Uh, do you feel like he slipped at the end there? I mean, there's some talk about that. Like, hey, he didn't really perform in the playoffs. What Do you feel like he's, like, well, done? Or what, what's the uh, Well, um, as a Jazz employee, I can't really talk <laughs> about uh, that. I will just say, like, I mean, we're not playing right now. Yeah. So I think the team didn't meet their the expectations they had for themselves. Um, I mean, we started out so hot. Like, man, I think we lost, like, two games in the first, like, 20 or something. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. And then we, and then January hit and we had some injuries and COVID stuff and all this stuff. And then it was just these losing streaks. And so I just don't think, uh, the team played up to their own expectations. And so, I mean, I I mean, here's the thing. Conley was second in the league in three point percentage in the regular season. So, I mean, there was an expectation. We struggled three point shooting in the, in the playoffs and credit to Dallas for defending the way they did. Do you think it was like not being able to get? the same type of shots in the playoffs? I think that's it. I mean, uh-huh. the the defensive effort level goes way up in the playoffs. And teams have time to prepare for you in a way they don't in the regular season. Mm-hmm. That they have, like, just sole focus on you for two weeks on your team. And so maybe there's ways that they're able to do things defensively or offensively that they weren't able to capitalize on the regular season. Because you're going... You know, tonight you're playing the Jazz, tomorrow you're playing the Lakers, then you're playing Phoenix in two days. That's three different, like, philosophies offensively and defensively that you're playing against and trying to prep for. So I think that that's harder in the regular season, that it comes out a lot more in the playoffs where you're going to see people prep for you and be able to execute against you better. Is Maxi Kleba the new best player in the NBA? Um, uh, well, not not as a, since I'm not a Dallas employee, I would just say... Uh, he was for like two games. Dude, he was five <laughs> and then for he was, five from three the other night. Was he? Start. He ended five for eight, but it was like unconscious. Well, he was eight for 11 in game two against us. And then game three. And then game three, he was unconscious. But then he was pretty much O for the rest of the series. It's just pretty They didn't nuts. need him to hit the yeah. rest of the series, I guess. But he like literally made two shots the rest of the series. But what it, what it shows is the teams like the Jazz who have someone like Rudy who's a, a set, a, you know, a, a key presence and a, um, a low post type presence, screen and roll presence. Man, it's like it's tough to match up against those teams that spread them out, and you have five guys that can shoot. The, it it basically makes Rudy just 
super ineffective when they pull him out. Even if it's against Kleba, who's not going to go to the rim, like it clears it out for when Rudy has to respect Kleba out there. And all of a sudden you have Doncic in the corner. Now he can drive to the, to the hoop and he'll get there and either get fouled or get a layup or, I mean, it's the, tough, man. The interesting thing I thought about Rudy is that when they switched him onto Brunson or when they tried to like isolate him, switch him onto matchups, he did a really great job of staying in front of his people and like he moving did. his feet. So it wasn't like, oh man, people can just go by him and burn him. Yeah. It just totally took away his advantage. T- correct. Of like, hey, that's great. He can stay in front of somebody, but the reason you have Rudy on the court is because he can help and he can just like right. shut down the paint. And then he couldn't shut down the paint anymore. Totally. You know? It's it's I totally agree with you. Cause Rudy, regardless of his size, seven two and mm-hmm. long, like he still can play one on one defense pretty decently against some of these smaller guards like and in the regular season he shut down Doncic like Mm -hmm. Doncic couldn't figure it out but to your point now you have Kleba in the corner he has to respect Kleba's corner three hitting eight of 11 even before that they know this guy we can't leave him wide open for a three but what do they do they penetrate get Rudy to come off to help because he naturally instinctively has to Mm -hmm. or giving up an easy layup and then they kick it to three for the corner, and it's wide open three. I think it was game three, fourth quarter, when they're like, we're not going to have Rudy help to the same degree anymore. And he yeah. stopped. But then that leaves the paint open then. Sure. Everyone else wasn't, in my opinion, doing their job the same way. Or they yeah. were used to funneling to Rudy, and now that's not a viable option. So I, I will tell you, so the Jazz's philosophy overall oh. is outshoot the other team in three-pointers, mm-hmm. shoot 30, mid-30s to mid-40s in number of threes. And based on how good our team is shooting at threes, because we have you know, close to 40% three-point shooters times five or six, we're going to shoot and make more threes and outscore them with more threes than their twos. So let's allow them to make their twos. Let them spread us out. We're going to hit our threes, get ours, and we're going to win. It's just a numbers game. Well, now we're not shooting 35 to 45 three-pointers in the playoffs. We're shooting 20 mm-hmm. and we're making five or in one game it was we shot 30 and made three well you're not going to win that trade-off anymore what's the biggest difference between now and the first 20 games i mean all kinds of things joe ingles joe joe being hurt and then gone um do you think that's like a huge deal i think like, it's I, I haven't heard anybody talk about it but to me i'm like well he's like one of the best shooters on the team but also i felt like He's a lot of the, like the charisma yeah. and personality and like toughness of the team. He's he's a locker room glue guy, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is me not speaking for the Jazz. This is me my personal feelings on it. I have an, a whole list of questions here. I want to ask you that could get you fired too. So okay, yeah, no, notes. great. I'm really looking forward to this. <laughs> um, that's I mean, that's why I came on is just for me to try to get in hot water. Um, but no, I I think I think that makes a difference. I mean, a locker room, I, the best teams I was on. On the field, we were the best off the field. Mm-hmm. We were like, not everyone gets along, but on those teams, we're really good on the field. We mostly all got along really well in the locker room. Like when I was playing for Clinton my second time to start 2005, we had the best record in all of professional baseball. We were like 23 and five. Mm-hmm. Everybody, like I, I don't drink, my wife doesn't drink. My team would invite us to the bar every night and we would go. Mm-hmm. And they were so like happy we were there that they would make sure that we were comfortable like in our environment while being in their environment and say, like, hey, let's let's shoot some pool. You want a Coke? You want something? Like, mm-hmm. and it brought us closer together, like, because they saw that I was able to go into their environment and exist and they appreciated that and respected that. And I respected them for their environment and the fact that they invited me, knowing that I don't maybe party like they do. But we were able to find that happy medium and come together, and that translated on the field. Were you the only married guy on the team? Uh, we had oh. a couple other guys. Did a lot of their wives come out and? Oh yeah, go to yeah. The so my wife misses like probably more than anything just the relationships with the other wives. She's like, they would I all just sit together. Miss going to the bar. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But they would all sit together at games, take like and watch our games, and they yeah. go on road trips and watch us. And I mean, she loved it, and she's still super close with a couple of the the wives that. We played with so so going back to the jazz what do you think uh happens this off season like what, what how are the jazz gonna react and change for next year um that's a great question i honestly don't know i mean i think we have the right people in place uh-huh. like danny ainge is his 
is a genius. I mean, we can talk about what he's done and he's made some historical trades in his advantage multiple times. And so whatever moves he makes and Justin Zanuck is also incredibly smart. I believe they call him Jay-Z. Jay-Z. Yeah. yeah. It kind of confused me when I was at a press conference and they referred They're to like, him. They're like, oh, Justin Zanuck. Like, who is Justin Zanuck? Yeah. No, I was confused oh. when they called him Jay-Z. And like, I was like, Jay-Z's? Jay-Z's? Is he like an investor now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and with Ryan knowing the game as much as he does and, and just being able to have a say in kind of what we do, like they're going to make really good decisions. I will tell you, Ryan's number one goal is to win a championship. Every mm -hmm. dollar that we make with the Jazz goes back into the team. Mm -hmm. And his, like, can you think of any other owner in any franchise that grew up a fan of their team that owns the team now? Maybe in, like, soccer in, like, Europe. I was going to say, I feel like George Bush, who was an owner of oh, the, Texas the Rangers? Rangers. Yeah. I think grew up a Rangers fan. But other than that... Yeah. I'm not aware. And in the NBA, like, certainly not. Like, yeah. people just buy, like, whatever they can, you know, what's available. Like, oh, for sure. There's, like, no teams available usually. Yeah. You know? And Ryan's even talked about his opportunities to buy other teams. Timberwolves. Yeah. yeah. And he was like, why would we buy his wife, Ashley, was like, why would we buy the Timberwolves where we're jazz fans? Uh -huh. And so he just kept, kept after the Millers and it was no, 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 no. And then one time they're like, yeah, let's talk. And he was like, no way. Serious? Like, let's yeah. do this. Right. And so, um, so the fact that Ryan is such a fan is, I think, plays such an advantage for the Jazz because he literally cares to his core that the Jazz win a championship because we've never won one, and he wants to see one under his watch as an owner mm. and have a parade down Main Street or State Street in Salt Lake. Is it possible that he could care too much, be too emotional about it? I mean, maybe to a degree, but, like, I, I mean— no. I mean, maybe, I, I don't think so. Like, I don't think there's a way to be too emotional. I mean, that's, he, he's fully he's invested. He's just all in. He's all yeah. in. He's fully invested. Um, and we're just going to keep using some of BYU's football's, like, mantras if we want to keep doing it. All in, fully invested. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, he's just fully invested on winning a championship and doing whatever it takes to get it. We're, we're in the luxury tax this year for the first time in the history of the organization. And that's just a commitment from him to say, like, We'll do whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's exciting times. So, who do you think deserves to win the MVP this year? <sighs> um, I think your boy Jokic does. Nice. Why do you think so? Um, you know, they didn't make it out of the first round, but I will tell you that he solely carried that team mm -hmm. the entire season. I don't want to diminish some of the supporting players there, but he didn't have... Um, Jamal Murray. He didn't have Jamal Murray. He didn't have... Michael Porter Jr. Michael Porter Jr. Um, and then, you know, Gordon, you know, it wasn't He's a huge score. Player, like, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. I mean, um, and, and granted, some of those other guys that stepped up, like, kudos to them. Monte Morris. Yeah, Monte Morris. Games, yeah. And so that's great for, like, the future because now there's, like, built-in depth mm -hmm. of guys that have proven themselves. Bones Highland. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Love Bones. But, like, what Jokic does game in, game out, um, being able to shoot the three, a post-up game, he's not a great defender, but, like, oh He's well. actually better than you think. Like, if you look at where his hands are in terms of getting steals and tips and blocks. Yeah, yeah. He had four or five game-winning blocks last year. Yeah, that's just incredible. You don't have to, like... Oh, dude, I'll sell you Jokic all day. <laughs> no, but I, I really do think, I think he deserves it. I mean, triple doubles, the amount of assists and... I think it's he does decision it making, man. Oh, he yeah. just constantly makes the right decision. And that's yeah. the part of sports that we don't think about is like someone who can look at any situation and be like, totally. I know what to do here and I'm going to do it right almost yeah. every time. You look at like as soon as he feels a double, he passes out and makes the right pass. Yeah. And you see players that they don't have that instinct when they get that double to make the right pass at the right time. And so they're doubled and they have to force it or something, right? He's always making the right decision at the right time, typically in those situations. But I'm just impressed with how he can shoot from anywhere. You know, three mid-range, yeah, the mid back to the basket. Like he can do that all. That's mm -hmm. impressive, man. So tell me a little bit about uh, your experience with Pillow Cube. Um, they have great people that work at Pillow Cube. I don't even want to know about the people. Man. <laughs> okay, you just want to know about, about the, the product about itself, the goods, yeah, just the pillows. Okay, uh, I'm like a people person first. You're a product person. Sounds like. 
Yeah, I don't care about you. I just care about the job. <laughs> um, honestly, like since I've been on a pillow cube, I have slept like a baby. I'm a side sleeper. I've, I literally, whenever I'm with you, whenever you talk to somebody that hasn't heard of pillow cube or has, and you say, are you a side sleeper? And they're like, yeah. And you're like, do you like your pillow? You're like, they're like, no, not really. Like I've always been, uh, uh. it's like the same thing every time, same story. You could just repeat it. But as soon as I got it, it just was like, man, this is like, this is perfect. It's supporting my head. I don't have to put my hands under my head anymore and be uncomfortable or like get like circulation problems or anything like that. Like I literally sleep and I don't move all mm -hmm. night. I wake up like in the same position. And so I know I'm getting a better night's rest because of that. Does your wife ever worry that you're dead when you're not moving? Um, I don't know if worry is the right word. She's like, she's maybe just her life like life insurance real quick. Yeah. Like, she's like, oh, is everything in order? Like it's finally <laughs> happening. Um, <laughs> we got our estate plan done. Yeah, <laughs> oh, glad we got that done. Um, yeah, and uh, so I'm I'm probably, and you know this, I'm probably your biggest sell, salesperson of Pillow Cube that's not an employee here. Um, I've actually been keeping track of how many I've pushed on people, and so I'm expecting some kind of residual. We have an or, affiliate program. You can sign up for it. There's a link on our website. I could definitely help you with that. 10% every sale. Like, you, this is the first time I'm hearing of this. Sorry. Like, I've been selling these things for over a year. That's not my fault. It kind of is. Uh, I mean, I mean, you're supposed I put, to, I put the program you're supposed in the universe. to text me every time there's a new program or something with pillow cube that I need to be aware of. Look at your text, dude. I, well, I, you left me on red. I've been ignoring your text, okay, yeah. but well, now we know, <laughs> but, um, yeah, honestly, I, I love pillow cube. I love the kids pillow cubes. My kids all use them. Um, the way that you guys have been able to like create them and make them the ones that fold out for the kids. The travel cube, I take that. I've taken my full-size one, I've left it, and I've actually gotten the original one back every time, but I'm now taking the travel one with me. And it's just, <laughs> it's just better. I don't forget it. And, um, but I love, uh, you, I have the cooling uh, pillowcase, and I love it. I love to sleep cold or start mm -hmm. cold, and then if I ever get warm, I can just flip it or like move, and it's just cold yeah. again. It's awesome. I love that. We got a mattress that's coming out. Tell me about the mattress. Uh, the mattress is going to be soft where you want it soft and hard where you want it hard. I wouldn't okay. say hard, but more supportive. Okay. Um, and a lot of people, like if you're sleeping on your shoulder, you want it soft there. You don't want a lot of pressure that can cause yeah. shoulder problems. And yeah. so there are springs that have like different like pushback. Mm -hmm. And so the springs in the mattress are a little bit softer cool. where that shoulder is. And then way more supportive and more pushback where you have more weight, generally be uh, what we call the trunk. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hips. Yeah. You know? Um, so for a side sleeper, you want that support on your hips and you want a little softer on the uh, the uh, shoulder. And so that's kind of like the gist of, you know. So I've, I haven't had a spring bed in a while. This is a hybrid. So it's uh, foam with some springs inside. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I will say though, like, I think I kind of miss springs in a little bit. A little I, few there's ways. some value in it. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Um, and so I I like my foam bed, but I think I think that hybrid will be really there's a cool. different level of support with the hybrid. Yeah. You know. So I'm making the move. I'm going back. Yeah. What, so when is that releasing? Uh, today. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Today, so and you can get that at PillowCube.com. It's actually funny, but uh, it's going to be MattressCubes.com. Not okay. available on the same website. There's some reasons for that. I don't. You know, okay, we don't have to get into that, but like, but yeah, we're going to send it out really only to our, uh, pillow cube purchasers, mm -hmm. existing clients. Yep. Cool. So yeah, but people can get it today. Okay. Well, I'm excited for the bed. I mean, all, honestly, um, and I'm not a paid spokesman yet. <laughs> I'm still waiting. Yeah. Um, but every product you guys have come out with and I have your comforter, like every single one of them, we absolutely love. There's just something that's different. I feel like there's something that's like. Um, innovative, obviously, about what you guys do, and that just make that sleeping experience like more comfortable or almost like more fun or something. Like I look forward, mm. like I can't wait to like get my pillow cube and like lay on it. And I honestly, I I lay on it to watch TV because it's firm enough when I when I'm just laying there regular mm. that it keeps my head propped up enough where I don't have to put multiple pillows behind my head. Yeah, yeah. I, that's a, like our product development strategy is we want something that is disruptive and different with every single product. We don't want to yeah. just make something to make something. We want like how can we make the sleep experience better for, you know, a side sleeper yeah. with 
everything that we do. So if you look at our sheets, and I, you know, I love our sheets. Uh, you know, it's so much easier to make the bed when you have that bottom sheet zipped yeah. on. Like it just stays in place. Yeah. You know, and like my wife did the laundry the other day, and she just like zipped off that top, you know, that top layer sheet, and just didn't have to take the whole set off. Yeah. And it, you know, it also never comes off because it's a 360 envelope system, you know? So, yeah. you know, it's one of those things where it's like, we don't get a lot of attention for our sheets, but it's like a tremendous product, you know? So I, I kind of do that right now without, because I don't have your sheets yet, mm. but I don't take off the sheet to do the laundry and it's a lot easier, like just not taking it off and you just don't, um, I mean, it doesn't get washed. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not taking. This is true. He's I not mean, joking. Just, this is not a joke. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I literally, yeah, yeah, uh, that's hilarious. My wife would have something to say about that, but so a uh, little quick food talk before we end the podcast. Okay, um, what's your favorite food experience that you've ever had? <sighs> I mean, I've been to Europe. Um, I would say. Back, like we went in Germany when I was young. I was in eighth grade. and went uh-huh. to Germany on like with a, a kind of a class trip thing. Yeah. And I just remember getting Spetzel and Schnitzel and they had this big boot of beer and there's no like drinking age there. Yeah. So like they didn't let us, our, the teachers who were our chaperones as well, didn't let us drink straight up beer. But there's like a Sprite beer mix thing oh, to do there. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. But anyway, that was, and it was all family style, full authentic German yeah. style dining. It was, and, and there's a guy playing the accordion and singing, and like it was so much fun. You should go to Wisconsin, dude. They have that same thing. Man. Yeah. Well, here, uh, have we been to the Bohemian Brewery together? No. Have you been there yet? I've not. Okay, we're going there. Okay. It's authentic German food. They don't have the beer boot and they don't have no the accordion player, okay. but they have fully authentic German food and it's so good. It's, it's my favorite restaurant in Utah. I'm signing up. Yeah. And that's yeah. also not a paid advertisement. <laughs> no, we want paid, man. I like it. Get us some, get us but, some money. But, but Bohemian Brewery is my favorite restaurant in Utah. I was down. Yeah. Um, I had some fried chicken when I went to L.A. This place called Broxton over by UCLA. Yeah. It was the best fried chicken I ever had. Was it like a chicken and waffles place? It was not a chicken and waffles place. It was like okay. a brewery type place. But okay. fried chicken was just like, it was a dark meat. Yeah, okay. And it was just so juicy and good. It was incredible. Have you been to the Crack Shack up here yet? I've been to the Crack Shack in Newport Beach. Okay. So a lot of chicken going around. A lot of world, chicken. There's like, the Crack Shack. There's, what's the other one in Salt Lake that's. I don't know. I mean, I'm a big Popeye's guy, dude. I'll, okay. I'll sell up. Dude, I still Popeye. haven't had their sandwich yet. Oh, it's really good, man. Is it better than Chick-fil-A? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a phenomenal product. I still haven't done it. There's one right by my house. Um, oh, I've been to that one a lot. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> yeah. It's like on the way home from basketball games, so. Um. Trying to think what other oh man, there's a pizza place called Lucali in Brooklyn. Okay. Pretty phenomenal pizza yeah. uh experience. I like how you're just small flexing like subtly again. Where you're just like, Oh, when I went to Brooklyn and then when I was in I LA mean, it's like I've when been I was on a, in I've been Texas. on an airplane and uh you know I, it's not that hard to do nowadays. Dude, I, I love that you just find a way to always sell yourself. That's so, what's great about you. there's a restaurant in San Diego called Seersucker. Okay. And I went there. I didn't pay for this. It wasn't like me making this happen. But Naturally. It was... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's even worse. Okay. <laughs> but it was like a 13-course. They just kept bringing out thing after thing. And I, yeah. it was like the best... Where in San Diego is it? Was it in... It's on 5th at okay. uh, Market. Okay, cool. I just looked it up before this, and I was like, just thinking about it. And I found out it closed during COVID. No way. And I was like, oh my gosh. That's I've been there like three or four times. But each yeah, time. Have you ever been to Puesto? Uh-uh. Oh, bro. Next Where's time you're Puesto? in San Diego. Okay. They have one in San Diego, right? Do you know that um, right across from the Grand Hyatt and there's a, an old police station they mm-hmm. turned into restaurants and shops? Yeah. There's, it's in there. It's Puesto. It's a Mexican. It's street tacos. Filet mignon street tacos and stuff. Dude. It's incredible. It's the best Mexican food ever. So there's that, and they also have one in La Jolla, and then one in Irvine. I'm going to try it out. Puesto. Uh, last one I want to th- – well, two more I want to throw out. Okay. Nick's Manhattan Beach. You ever been there? No. Best steak I've ever had. Really? Incredible filet. It's just perfect. I mean, they're – Okay. I've had a lot of things there. Their bacon was just like the best bacon. I was like, where do you get this bacon? I actually looked it up. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, phenomenal restaurant. Okay. And then uh, Momofuku. Okay. And the Cosmopolitan Hotel in Las Vegas. In Vegas? Yeah. 
What is your favorite, like what's your favorite food item? Like what will you get every time when you see it on a menu? Huh. I mean, I don't know that there's anything that I get every time, but I love pokey. Pokey's like a great food. And so they had a great pokey at Momofuku. Um, you know, steaks, um, almost anywhere. I love a good steak. I love good fish, you know, like I just, what I'm feeling, but like, what is a place known for? What is their like thing? I want to try it out, you know, and I want to like sample. I want to get like six things. Yeah. Uh, have and you're not paying, gonna... right? Yeah, usually. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a rule of thumb for me. Yeah. I mean, everything you're saying is kind of bougie. Like, I mine's macaroni and cheese. Like, if I find macaroni now, and cheese, I love good macaroni and cheese. Throw some shrimp in there, throw some brisket in there. It's a well, Utah Jazz saying. way. You know what I mean? No, no. So, like, today for lunch, I had, I went to a restaurant called The Garage in Draper. Have you been okay. to it? No. Jeez, dude. Oh, is that They're, the one with all these cars? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I have been to it. Okay. okay. They have Somebody a brisket mac and cheese. Yeah. Uh -huh. Naturally. They have a brisket mac and cheese that is so good, and I get it. They make their own brisket, like, in the restaurant there and slice it and everything there. It's so good. But if there's a mac and cheese on the menu that's good, I, it's a go-to for me. I will always get mac and cheese. It trumps anything else. That works out really well because I don't know if you know this, but the Jazz have mac and cheese before every uh, game. They do, huh? Yeah. How do, you, how do you know this? Oh, you know, Cam takes me to a game here and there, you huh. know? I don't know if you heard that sound. That was the, my iPhone alert going off. My wife's... Uh, She's like, why aren't you back yet? She's like, you've never been this late. So here's what it is. Um, I turned my phone off for the podcast. Nice. I put it on Wi-Fi because I don't want calls coming through. And then uh, she just sent me a text. It's like, you're not answering your phone. It's going straight to voicemail. Are you okay? okay? <laughs> <laughs> so if you're listening to this podcast at this point, if you've survived the baseball talk, yeah. the hardcore basketball talk, and, and gotten to the, my wife's worried about me right now talk, like, yeah. you know. There's issues, so yeah. So uh, maybe it's it's time to to call it wrap. To wrap think. it up, but yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast, dude. Um, thanks for having me, man. Shout out to the Utah Jazz. You know, I am not a giant Utah Jazz fan, but I'm a big fan of the organization. Like they run an awesome. You know, they make a great experience to yeah. go to a basketball game. So I I love going to Jazz games. Yeah, uh, it's been a terrific product, and I, I love what they're doing. So I do hope for future success. I'm excited to see how they uh, shake things up a little bit this year. And and as a byproduct, you're a big fan of me. Oh, I'm or a, like you're a big fan of me first, it, and then it should be, be because of that. Is the I am like a huge fan of Cam Coglin, man. Okay, in terms of loyal, great guy, good friend. And the uh, great thing like is, you know how around. to pronounce my name, my last name, Coughlin. No, Coglin. I know, I know, but <laughs> yeah, I messed it up on purpose after you told me. I, yeah, I know, but <laughs> then some people say Coolin, some people I don't even know. Like it's it's G H. At least say I'm fine with Coughlin because it's phonetically <laughs> spelled that way. It's spelled cough and then L A N. Uh -huh. Like, but Kulin, like, why, why are we just going silent for all of the letters until L? <laughs> yeah. Is there a uh, baseball player that had a name Coglin? Yeah, but it was spelled C-O-G-L-I-N, -I, I think. C-O-U-G-L-I-N, Chris Coglin. Okay, I feel like that's kind of where I got, Coughlin. like, my pronunciation skills yeah. before the name And he was Coglin, but for whatever reason, Tom Coughlin, I think, really killed it for me. Yeah. Because even though he spells his last name with an I-N at the end and mine's an A-N, there's the Coughlin. You just assume. But usually the INs are Coughlins and the ANs are Coglins. Natalie Coughlin, I think she swam for um, uh, Berkeley and she was an uh, Olympian. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh -huh. she spells it the same way. She's a Coughlin. Cool. That must have been where I got it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's good. Well, you're, you're, you're so in depth with sports, you go deep swimming. I do know a Berkeley kind of swimmer. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's another podcast. Yeah, I actually did one with her, Colleen Foch. Shout out. Had uh, a podcast. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks so much for coming on, man. Thanks, brother. I uh, appreciate you. Yeah, dude.